You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. We'll go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. That's where we're going to be starting up. That's where Pastor Tim left off. So Galatians 4, verse 19, we're, going to go all, we're just going to finish this chapter. I'm going to knock this chapter out tonight. So read with me. My dear brothers, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish that I were with you right now so that I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Tell me, you who want to live under the law. Do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born of God's own fulfillment of his promise. Now these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people receive the law, then enslave them. And now Jerusalem is like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is a free woman. She is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, You who have never given birth, break into a joyful shout, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep you in the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what does the Scripture say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. So, Paul is going to continue this contrast between grace and law. And this is what we've been looking at. And he does this by using this Old Testament analogy as an illustration. He uses this analogy to show the Judaizers, and these were the religious ones of that, of that time. He's trying to show them and get them to understand that, that God's plan for redemption has always been grace. From the very beginning, it has been grace, and God has gone through these extreme measures to reveal and show that you can't be made right with God by following the law. The only way that you can be made right with God is through Jesus Christ, his son, through faith, okay? So this is what Paul is pointing out. He wants people to understand the law cannot be a means of salvation, but instead it's a means of spiritual bondage and moral bondage. That's that's all the law was doing to people. And Jesus even argued this point, and I want to point this out. Go to Matthew, and look with me in Matthew chapter 5, 
Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons that he gave. And he gives us a very important illustration here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I'll tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm sure the Judaizers right now were like, yeah, he's got it. Obey the law. Follow the law to the tittle. You got to do everything the law says. And then Jesus comes in verse 20. He says, but I warn you. Now watch this. The tone shifts. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better and I can just see him pointing. <laughs> you know, I can just see Jesus just pointing at religious people. He says, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, I'm not doing away with the law. We're all called to live a holy life. But what you have to understand is, is that following the law won't make you right in God's eyes. That won't justify you in God's sight. So Jesus made it very clear that the legalistic practices of the scribes and the Pharisees could never qualify a person for, hev for heaven. They can't. And, and I'll say this, and this is kind of an extreme example. You could live a life as righteous as Jesus and still not be right with God. Because it's not about following the law, it's about we all have a sin problem and we all need the blood of Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us of our sins and set us free from this carnal nature that we all battle each and every day. Can I have an amen? So the whole point of Jesus' sermon was to show that no one person is able in his own power to fulfill the holy demands of the law, the first of which is a righteous and perfect heart. And I don't know about you, I don't have that. I would like to have that. I strive to have that. I pursue that holiness in my life. But Jesus is the only one that has that, and that is why we must be born again, and then Jesus gives us a new heart. Amen? We get his heart. We get his mind, and now all of a sudden, we want to do what pleases God. See, the, everything changed for me when Jesus came into my life. I wanted to do what pleases God. We're used to, I want to do what pleased Paul. Now I want to do what pleases God. What pleases Paul makes me upset, makes me sad. What pleases God makes me happy. It used to be the exact opposite. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. But see, that's when Jesus comes in your life, things change. Amen? So I want to look a little bit into the historical background that Paul gives because he uses this analogy. And he reminds them that Abraham is their father. He is the father of the Hebrew race. And he had two sons. 
these sons were distinct in a number of ways, and Paul is going to point these out. First of all, they had different mothers, and he wanted to point this out. One had a mother who was a bondwoman, and the other had a mother who was a free woman. So one was a slave woman or a bondwoman, the other was a free woman. The first son was Ishmael, whose mother was Hagar. Now, Hagar was an Egyptian slave that, you know, lived there with Sarah and Abraham and became Abraham's wife. The second son was Isaac, and Isaac was the one that God promised that he would give Abraham and Sarah even in their old age because they didn't have any children, okay? So throughout this analogy, all the distinctions between the two sons are based on the fact that they have different mothers, not that Abraham is their father. And we got to make sure that's what we're paying attention to or we'll miss the point. Well, what we have Abraham as our father. Well, we're not talking about Abraham. We're talking about two mothers, a free mother and a bondwoman, and they had two sons. This is what Paul is pointing out to us. So he shows that the heritage of the line through one mother is lostness, bondage, and the heritage of the line through the other mother is salvation and freedom. He's, he's showing us there's a big difference between the two mothers of these two sons. So Paul shows that the son by the bondwoman or the slave woman is born of the flesh, whereas Isaac represents God's way. Because God came to Abraham and said, here's what I'm going to do. And we all know the story. Abraham got impatient, and, and I get it because it was years and years and years before it ever even happened. And, you know, it's like, okay, God, you said you were going to do this. You ever had God, like, you feel like God impressed something upon you that he was going to do something, he was going to fulfill something, and then it didn't happen in three minutes and you were panicking? <laughs> I mean, I've been there. It's like, God, you said. Well, yes, I said, but I didn't say when. And so one of the lessons of faith that we've got to make sure that we grab a hold of when we're praying and we're believing God for things in our life, God didn't say that he was going to do it overnight. As a matter of fact, in a couple of Sundays, I'm going to be preaching, and we're going to be talking about process, just the process of our life. And, you know, one of the things that, how many of y'all have ever bought furniture online? Furniture online, right? Probably most of us have. We've seen it. Or you go look at it in a store, and it's all put together, and it looks great. And you order it, and they ship it to you, and it arrives in a box. Wait, it's not put together. No, and you open it up, and there's these instructions that have been translated from some language I don't know, and it's been translated into English, and it's really not all that good. And now you have the job of putting this together, right? You've got to figure it out and, and put it together. And we're going to talk about how that's what our life is like. You know, we look at the finished product. We look at the highlights of someone's life, and we see the finished product. And yet here we are. We're just trying to get our furniture put together. And have you all ever, like, put it together wrong? Then what do you got to do? you got to take it all apart and start over. 
And so, so we're looking at this life of faith here that he's talking about, and he's showing us that, you know, when God promises us things, it doesn't mean that God's just going to do it overnight, and it certainly doesn't mean that God's going to do it all. There's a, there's a role that we play in seeing God's promises fulfilled in our lives. Amen? And Abraham kind of took matters in his own hands. He didn't confer with God. He just said, I'm, I think this is what I need to do. I know none of y'all have ever done that, but, and this is what I need to do. And then here is what happened. So the first son represents man's way, the way of the flesh, whereas Isaac represents God's way, the way of the promise. The first son represents religious self-effort. Just gritting my teeth, trying to be good, trying to pray, trying not to think that lustful thought about that woman, trying not to think that mean thought about that man, trying not to choke the life out of my child because I just want to do it. You know what? We've all been there, right? I just, oh. See, this first son represents this religious self-effort, works of righteousness. The second one, Isaac, represents a way of faith, God's way of making a person right. So go to verse 24 of Galatians chapter 4. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people receive the law, then enslave them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. And Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have given birth. Break into joyful shout, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. See, Paul's going to reveal to us what these two women represent. The bondwoman Hagar and the free woman Sarah are illustrations of two covenants. Okay, this, this is kind of like the old covenant, the new covenant. There's these two covenants. The two mothers and the two sons represent two different covenants for us to look at. Now, we all know the old covenant law was given through who? What leader? Help me, Moses. Very good. It was given through Moses. What big mountain did he go up? Mount Sinai. Climbed all the way up there. He was up there for 40 days, and God gave him that law. Now, we also know that the terms of that covenant were humanly impossible for anybody to keep. Nobody could keep it. They couldn't obey it. It was too hard. It was too strict. It was too difficult for anybody to obey. And because of this, it produced a type of religious slaves. And this is what Paul has given this analogy. It's like religious slaves bound to a master they can never escape. Now, let me kind of paint a more tangible picture for you. I remember when I was younger and I got introduced to Christianity, my grandparents were religious people. They went to the Methodist church and they loved the Lord. And I, and I would go to church and I would hear them preach and, you know, you're not supposed to 
to lie, you're not supposed to cheat, and you're not supposed to steal, and you're not supposed to commit adultery, and you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, and you don't take the Lord's name in vain, and you make sure you pay your tithe, and you don't miss coming to church on Sunday, and, and, you know, and, and, that, and it just like rules, 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 rules. And, and then you can't think this thought even. You can't even think this thought. You know, it says you don't commit adultery with somebody else, but you can't even think the thought about it. Well, I was doomed because I'd already thought the thought. And then it said you're not supposed to steal. Well, I'm I, too late. I stole bubble gum from the grocery store, didn't tell my mom and dad about it, snuck it in my pocket, double bubble. Well, you're not supposed to lie. Well, they asked me if I stole it, and guess what I told them? I didn't steal it. I bought it. Well, what'd you buy it with? Money. Where'd you get it? Uh, I found it. <laughs> right? I mean, and so all of these, these laws that, that I tried to meet up to and I couldn't meet up to, and so what that produced in my heart was guilt, shame, condemnation, not measuring up, and ultimately, you know what that made me want to do? Quit. Throw in the towel. Man, this, this Christian stuff is way too hard for me. There's no possible way that I can do this. I can't even keep the first 10, much less the other 600. So I just quit, and that's what I did. I quit because it was too hard. And see, this is what he's talking about here. It's a type of religious slaves bound to a master they can never escape. So back to our analogy. Anyone who attempted to satisfy God and gain freedom by trying to live up to that covenant in his own self-righteousness was literally like a spiritual child of Hagar. They were like Ishmael. See? That's what they were like. That's what Paul's saying they're like. You were a slave. You're struggling for freedom that you're trying to obtain through your own efforts. If I can just pray enough, be good enough. You know, if I can just go a week without messing up. If I can just go three hours without saying the wrong thing. If, if I can just go a day without drinking. If I can just go three days without looking at porn. If I can just do, and, and we get caught up in this, this system of rules and, and legalism. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. And, and an interesting side note here, and I'm just going to throw this in. The descendants of Hagar through Ishmael moved into the desert. That, that's ultimately where they were cast out and they, and they moved to into the desert. And in the desert, they came to be known as Arabs. That's the territory that we know today as Arabia. Okay, And as a, as a matter of fact... It's significant that Mount Sinai is right there in that place, the place that the law was given to Moses, right there. That's the Arabian Peninsula. That we, it's known that today. So it's through the sons of Hagar and Sarah that this modern Arab and Israeli animosity and conflict is going on even today. Thousands and thousands of years of warring together against each other, and it just continues. Because, and here's the interesting thing both the Arabs and the Israelites trace their lineage through Abraham. 
This is why Paul is not focusing on Father Abraham. He's focusing on these two women, the free woman and the bond woman. And it's significant. That's what he's wanting them to see. So back to our main point. The spiritual descendants of Sarah through Isaac, on the other hand, they're free. Because she's our mother, see? And if we're, if we're among those who live by faith in God's promise that was given to Abraham and it's all about Jesus, we live free. Now, let me go back to my example that I gave when, before I really knew any better, and I was trying to live up to being this good Christian guy and not make any mistakes. Well, I, I, I wasn't able to do that. And fortunately, God heard my prayers as I was calling out to him and one night, many of y'all have heard my testimony, but I will never, ever forget it as long as I live. I was lying in my bed. It was on a hot August night. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I had gotten in. I was high, like I always was. And I was lying in my bed, and the Spirit of God, the presence of the Lord, came upon me. And I felt God's presence in my life like I had never felt it before. And God gave me a mandate. He said, you need to leave this town or you're going to die. And I had already lost two of my very close friends to drugs and alcohol. See, God was setting me free. He was delivering, just like, just like when Moses went and set the people free from the taskmasters of Egypt and delivered them, God sent his son to me to communicate that message of freedom. And that was the beginning of a journey for me from leaving Egypt, the world, going out into the wilderness, God training me and teaching me, and ultimately leading me in to the land of promise, the abundant life, that life that Jesus talks about. Jesus said, I've come to give you what? Life, and that that life would be more abundant, not more legalistic, more abundant. So, it's, so this is a, a very cliche statement, and a lot of people have said it, and it just kind of goes over people's heads, but it, it, it's very true, and that's why people say it all the time. It's not about being religious. It's about having a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with the Father. And that's the whole, the whole goal of Jesus coming. That's the reason Jesus came. See, we are identified as the new Jerusalem from above. We're free from the law. We're free from works. We're free from bondage. And we're free from the flesh. It no longer controls me. I don't have to do what my flesh tells me to do anymore. See, my flesh used to dictate everything I did. It told me what I was going to do every weekday night. It told me what I was going to do on the weekends. It led my life. It controlled my life until Jesus came into my life. And now I have a different master. I have a master that leads me in love. I have a master that leads me in relationship. And it's exciting. Now, used to, it was miserable. It was terrible. Trying to live up to all of the regulations and the rules and all the things that I, I read in the scripture that I just felt like such a failure because I couldn't do any of them. And then when Jesus came into my life, everything changed. Everything changed. 
So the Holy Spirit not only delivers us from sin, but he enables us for the first time to do what's right. See, that's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I'm going to fulfill it because you can't. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to die. I'm going to pay the price for your can't. I'm going to resurrect so you can. And then he comes and lives inside of us, and it's just this beautiful, awesome relationship. And so when you look in the mirror, you don't look in the mirror at all your faults and all your failures and all your mistakes. No, when you look in the mirror and you go, I see Jesus. And it just... Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus, that I can wake up in the morning and I'm excited about getting up and being a Christian because I have a love relationship with the Lord. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. John 8, 36. It says, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly, truly free. And this, this has to be experienced. It can't really be taught. It would be like me trying to explain to someone what an orange tastes like that never tasted an orange. It's tingy, it's wet, it's vibrant, it's, it's delicious. Okay, that sounds good, but I still don't know what it tastes like. And you won't until you what? You have to bite into it. You have to experience it for yourself. And, and that's something that's it's, it's, it's a frustrating place when you're trying to lead someone out of Egypt, out of the world, to experience the Father because they haven't experienced that, and you're trying to explain to them what that experience is like, but all, all they're thinking is, yeah, but I can't do this anymore, and I can't party anymore, and I can't have sex anymore, and I can't drink anymore, and I can't party anymore, and I can't do this. And it's just a bunch of can'ts. Instead of, I don't even think about that anymore. I've been set free from all that. Now I think about all that I can do for him. I'm free. I've been delivered of that. See, everyone who believes on Jesus is like Isaac, supernaturally conceived, miraculously born, and the offspring of God's promise to Abraham through Christ. See, we are children of promise, children of promise. Paul says it best in Romans 6. Verse 17 through 19, thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Man, I just want to do right. Now, I'm not saying I always do. Sometimes I don't, and when I don't, it grieves me. I mean, it bothers me. I, I'm quick to repent. God, I'm sorry. God, I, that's not the kind of man I am. That's not, that's not who I want to be. Lord, forgive me. 
But see, verse 19, it says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even to deeper sin in your life. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. See, God's whole purpose of, of coming into our life is not to inflict us with a bunch of rules. And some of you, you know, maybe you grew up in a church where there were a lot of rules. It was Maybe you grew up in a home that was a very rule-based home instead of a relationship-based home. Maybe you grew up in a church that was a very legalistic church instead of a relationship church. But I want you to understand God's purpose of redeeming all of us is so that we can experience freedom. Freedom. We're children of the free-born woman. Jesus came to set us free from the guilt-establishing and deadening power of the law. As a matter of fact, the scripture says the power of sin is the law. And if I can do anything as I'm getting ready to close to encourage you, if you are a law-focused person, in other words, if, for, for example, when you pray, if all you hear is how you don't measure up, how you've made all these mistakes, if all you hear is a voice pointing out all of your failures, pointing out your past, making you feel hopeless, then you have to understand that that is not the voice of your father. That's the voice of the enemy. And you have to learn to discern the difference between the voice of the enemy and the voice of your father. Now, does God want us to live holy and righteous? Absolutely. Just like his son, Jesus. But going back and living under a yoke of slavery is the last thing that you want to do as a Christian. God does not want any of us living under a yoke of slavery to the law. No, we live by faith in Jesus. I don't worry about whether I'm going to heaven. I'm not tormented every day about whether or not I'm good enough to get into heaven. And there, there are people that are in this room and there are people that are listening by podcast or people that are watching by live stream. And you're tormented over the fact because you don't know if you're going to go. You're not sure you're going to make it in. But I want to encourage you. There's only one person worthy of heaven. One. It's Jesus. Nobody else is worthy enough to enter into heaven. Just him. And so when we stand before the Lord, when we die... If we have accepted Christ into our hearts and our lives and we have taken up our cross to follow him like we're all doing, when God looks upon us, guess who he's going to see? Jesus. Because the scripture says in Colossians that we are hidden in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. 
And so when you stand before the pearly gates, God's going to look upon you and he's going to see Jesus because you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and you have put all of your eggs in the basket of living by faith in what Jesus accomplished for you. As I close, I want to encourage you in this. The scripture says, keep standing firm in your freedom and do not subject yourself again to the yoke of the law. And it's really easy as a Christian to, nat to kind of go back and forth between, well, wait a minute, Jesus makes me right. Oh, wait, I, I got I to gotta make sure I do good, so I'll be accepted. Oh, wait, wait Je no, Jesus does not. Oh, and, and, and we rock back and forth because these two natures are at war with each other all the time. So this teaching contrasts the way of the law and the way of grace, the way of works and the way of faith, the way of man and the way of God. And I want to encourage our church, choose God's way of grace so that you can live free. And in living free, you're empowered, not condemned, but you're empowered to want to live a life that pleases the Lord. Amen. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.